0: You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Last Sunday, uh, on Easter Sunday morning, uh, I was up early and, and I was, um, well, I was doing what you would expect a pastor to be doing on Easter Sunday morning. I was doing the most important and most, uh, you know, the, the thing that I, every Christian should be doing. I was, I was checking my Twitter feed, and uh, uh, I came across this tweet uh, that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And it was a tweet from the president of uh, Union Theological Seminary, uh, which is in New, in New York City. And, and this is what she tweeted She said, Happy Easter. You can believe in the resurrection without believing in bodily resurrection faith is more than adherence to rigid dogma the truth about our lives and about our world is that God's love and grace will always have the final word rejoice now um, needless to say there was a firestorm of replies uh, to this tweet and there's nothing like a good twitter fight to get you in the easter spirit um and so I was reading through the twitter fight and uh She had linked in her tweet uh, a New York Times interview that she had done with uh, Nicholas Kristof. And in this interview, Nicholas Kristof had asked her, isn't a Christianity without a physical resurrection less powerful, less awesome? And she said, no, for me, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. That's a much more awesome claim than that they put Jesus in the tomb and three days later he wasn't there. And so my question for us is, does it matter? Does it really matter that Jesus, that we believe that Jesus rose physically? I mean, so what? What if the resurrection was just metaphorical and spiritual, as she seems to believe? What if it wasn't literal? Doesn't it still have the same impact on us? Doesn't it still have the same impact on the world? Do we have to to actually believe that Jesus bodily walked out of the tomb? Doesn't matter. Like if his teaching is still alive in our heart and his example is still alive in us, isn't that the thing that matters? Because love conquers all, if that's true, right? Doesn't matter. Well, I think Mary Magdalene's uh, gives, uh, gives us an interesting uh, study, a case study of whether or not it matters. Uh, something happens in this uh, this account that you just heard read uh, that really changes Mary's life. Uh, there's this moment in verse 16 where Mary makes a turn. She, she actually makes a literal turn toward Jesus. It only takes a couple of seconds. But in that turn, everything changed for her. That turn, we could argue, was the turning point uh, in Mary's uh, life. And, and that turn, I think, gives us some insight into why the physical resurrection of Jesus is so important, why it matters. Now, I wanna look at this account uh, uh, from, in three different scenes. We're gonna spend a couple of weeks looking at post-resurrection account, or, uh, encounters that Jesus has with a couple of people. Uh, and this encounter with Mary Magdalene uh, has three scenes, all right? And I wanna just look at them in order. And here's the first scene. The first scene is that Mary comes looking for Jesus, right? Mary comes looking for Jesus. Look at verse one, John 20, verse one, and Mary comes looking for Jesus. Verse one. Now, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, who is John, and they were going toward the tomb. And so Mary was the first one to show up at the tomb on Sunday morning. She was there before the sun came up. Uh, She was there very early. Uh, The question is, where was everybody else? Like, why was Peter not there? Why was John not there? Why were the disciples not there? I don't know. I don't know if they were tired. They decided, hey, we're sleeping in this morning. It's been a really rough weekend for us. We're were sleeping in, but they were not there. Now, what's really interesting, though, is that nobody, nobody in this little band of followers that Jesus had, including Mary Magdalene, no one was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead, which is really interesting because these, these folks had been following Jesus around for about three years. The apostles, the disciples, were in his small group. Right. Can you imagine being in Jesus' small group? It's the best small group leader you could ever had. They'd have Bible study with him. And he was telling them over and over in Bible study this one thing. And, and I, I want you just to hear some of Matthew's journal entries from small group with Jesus. Right? Listen to this, what he kept saying to them. This is right out of Matthew's moleskin. Matthew 16, Verse 21 from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised Matthew chapter 17 verse 22 Jesus said to them the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, Jesus said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, they'll condemn me to death, I'll be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and I will be raised on the third day. So third day, third day, third day. He kept saying it. So Friday was day one, Saturday was day two, Sunday was day three. Don't you think they'd be a little bit curious? Don't you think they'd be like, well, you know, he kept saying the third day, maybe we should go down there and check it out and see what happened. But they didn't. They didn't even bother to show up. The only people that showed up is Mary Magdalene and and a couple other women. But not even Mary Magdalene was expecting to find a a risen Jesus. How do we know that? Because when she came to the tomb and it was empty, she ran off in a panic. She didn't go, oh my goodness, yes, third day, Jesus must be risen. She was like, no, they must have stolen the body. She didn't expect to find a risen Jesus there. And so in verses 4 through 10, which you didn't hear read, Peter and John raced to the tomb. They, they literally raced to see who can get there first. They look in, they see that Jesus is not there, his grave clothes are lying there, and then they went back home. But Mary stuck around. She stayed by the tomb. Look what it says in verse 11. Verse 11, but Mary stood it means to stand your ground she stood weeping outside the tomb so Mary stuck close by she wasn't going anywhere she was so devoted to Jesus so faithful to Jesus she had come to the tomb to anoint his body with spices right and she wasn't leaving until she found the body and so she kept looking for him now listen to what happens as she looks for him Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and and, and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, I want us to notice a few things about Mary here. Uh, First of all, she's grieving, uh, obviously. She is weeping. Uh, outside the tomb, she's weeping when she looks into the tomb. The angels ask her, why are you weeping? Jesus asks her, why are you weeping? She cannot stop uh, crying. Now, if you've ever lost someone that you love, you understand what's going on here. Right? Death, death has this cruel way of taking away people that we love. Right? And so death brings tears. Death always brings lots of tears. And that's right. Death is wrong, and so grieving over death is right. It's right to grieve, and that's what Mary is doing here. Uh, The second thing I want you to notice about her, though, is that she's not expecting the resurrection uh, of Jesus, and and, and I've already mentioned this. Now, if Mary lived in our day, we would understand why she's not expecting the resurrection, uh, because in our culture, uh, we're we're very skeptical of the supernatural, Our our, our society has been greatly impacted and influenced by rationalism, uh, by naturalism. And so the idea of a miracle is something that we are quick to doubt. Uh, We're we're, we're quick to explain it away. I think it's one of the reasons why the president of Union Seminary is probably more comfortable saying, hey, the resurrection of Jesus was more metaphorical, uh, more figurative uh, than literal. Because for it to be literal, something supernatural would have had to have happened. Now, Mary, in her, her, her worldview as a first-century Jewish woman, she had a different worldview than our modern worldview. But I want you to know that she also was not expecting the resurrection of Jesus. Because many Jews in that day, they expected a resurrection, a final resurrection, at the end of time, a mass resurrection of the dead at the end of time. Uh, we saw it last week in John chapter 11. Remember when Jesus was talking with Martha and he said to Martha, Martha, your brother Lazarus will, be, will rise again. And, and Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so the belief was on the last day, mass resurrection, but no one was expecting in the middle of history for one individual to be raised from the dead. And so Mary was not looking for a risen Jesus. She even says so. She, she tells the angels, hey, have y'all seen this body I'm looking for? She says to Jesus, have you taken this body away? And the third thing I want you to notice about Mary, and this is interesting, uh, she's, she's actually blind to what's going on around her. She's taking in the world with her two eyes but she's totally misinterpreting what's happening around her. There's glory all around her. She has two angels in front of her, the risen Jesus behind her. And her interpretation of this moment is, this is terrible. I am totally alone here. This is terrible. Sometimes when people are skeptical uh, about the, the Bible and the biblical accounts, uh, they dismiss the eyewitness accounts in the Bible of the resurrected Jesus as hallucination. They'll say, well, people like Mary Magdalene, they were, you know, Mary was traumatized and she was just seeing what she wanted to see. She, she, she was hallucinating, right? She wanted to see Jesus and so she hallucinated him. The problem with that argument in, in this story is that Mary does see Jesus in this story, but she doesn't understand what she's seeing. Her eyes aren't working correctly. She thinks that's the gardener. So she's not hallucinating what she wants to see. She's misinterpreting what she actually sees. She can't see him. And the question that Jesus asked Mary in verse 15 is so spot on. He says, whom are you seeking? Who are you looking for? Well, Mary's looking for Jesus. She's just looking for the wrong Jesus because she's looking for the dead Jesus. Jesus. And the dead Jesus doesn't exist anymore. Mary comes looking for Jesus, but it's the wrong Jesus. And so Jesus, in his grace, comes looking for her. And that's our second scene. Jesus now comes looking for Mary. Look at verse 15 again. She had turned around in verse 14 and she saw Jesus standing there behind her. And then look what Jesus says in verse 15. Jesus said to her woman, "Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, "Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away." Who initiated this meeting? Uh, who who initiated this conversation? Well, well, Jesus did. He he approached her first. He spoke to her first, but she doesn't recognize him. She is earnestly seeking him. She really is looking for him, but she doesn't recognize him. She can't find him, so he has to find her, and he does. I love verse 16. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I love it. This is the shortest sermon in the Bible. It's one word long. Mary. If you've ever been to church and you heard a sermon and you're like, I felt like God was speaking directly to me in that sermon today. That's what's going on right here with Mary. (laughs) Jesus is speaking directly to her to reveal himself to her. How does he do it? He calls her name in a way that communicates, hey, I know you. You know me. Mary. Mary. John chapter 10, doesn't it remind you of that? What does John 10 say? It says the good shepherd calls his own sheep, how? By name. And his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They know his voice. Mary knew that voice. She'd heard it so many times and now she's hearing her name in this familiar voice and her eyes are opened. Look at verse 16 again. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned. She turned and said to him in in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, here's that turn that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. Mary turns toward Jesus, and in that turn, everything changes for her. I mean, everything changes for her in this turn. Frederick Dale Bruner, he writes this. This is wonderful. He says, in the one or two seconds this turn took, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis. And at the midpoint of the turn, I imagine history moving almost imperceptibly from BC to AD. Mary is the first person ever to experience the personal presence of the risen Lord. That's awesome. How would you like to be the first person Ever. And that's Mary Magdalene. And watch how she changes in verse 16 and verse 17. She turned and she said to him, she exclaimed in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So you can see the change that comes over Mary just in a few seconds. She had been in the lowest of lows of sadness and now she's at the highest of heights of joy. How do we know? Well, First of all, she, she yells out, teacher, and then secondly, she goes and hugs him. She, she's not aware of everything that's going on, theologically speaking here, but she does know this. She knows that's Jesus, that's the one I love, and I'm gonna give him a hug. See, he's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's not a hologram. He's not a hallucination. He's a, he's a touchable, physical human being that can be hugged by Mary. And when Jesus says in verse 17, don't cling to me, he's not saying, Mary, don't touch me. Uh, The phrase actually has the idea of don't keep clinging to me, meaning you are clinging to me, you are hugging me, but you're gonna have to let go of me at some point. And I want you to know, I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Like, I'm not gonna just disappear so you don't have to hold on to me. I'm not gonna just, I'm not going anywhere right now. So you're gonna have to stop hugging me so tightly, and it has the idea that she had a hold of him and didn't want to let go of him. I've been hugged like this before. I don't know if you've ever been hugged like this. Uh, 26 years ago, uh, I was dating my wife, uh, Amy, um, and on Easter weekend, I met her family for the first time, and I went to spend uh, Easter uh, uh, with, with her family, and Amy warned me, hey, when my grandma meets you, she is going to hug you like big time, and even though she's never met you before. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, Easter morning got there, and Grandma and, Grandma, Grandma and Grandpa Thompson showed up, and I, I saw Grandma T, we called her Grandma T, I saw her coming, like up the sidewalk. And she made a beeline for me, and she hugged me with the biggest, tightest bear hug I ever had in my life. And I thought, she is not going to let go of me. And it's, my rib hurts now. And needless to say, when Grandma T um, hugs you, you felt very near to her, right? <laughs> you, you felt real close to her. And the reason I tell you that is, is that whenever I read this story about Mary Magdalene and Jesus, I always picture that Mary is giving Jesus this big old Grandma T hug, right? She's got him and she's clinging to him and she doesn't want let, go, let him go because she loves him. She's got him in this tight embrace. She's finally found him. or More appropriately, she's been found by him, and she does not want to let him go. It's, it's the joy of being restored to someone you love. Love gives hugs like that, doesn't it? Now, here's what I want you to see. Only the real Jesus could have given Mary that kind of joy, right? Like, what, what, is, what did she want more than anything? She just wanted to be near Jesus, She was looking for him, even if just to be near his dead body. And now here he is standing alive, actually in front of her, and and she is hugging him. She's filled with joy in his presence. She's not hugging the idea of Jesus, She's not hugging the memory of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus, even though those things are really important. She's hugging the real, actual Jesus. Only the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus could restore her joy in that way. It changed her. But it also restored her hope. Not just her joy, it restored her hope. I think when she went to the tomb that morning, I think the background conversation in her mind was, um, death wins again. Death does it again. Death always takes away even the best of people, and Jesus was the best of people. And so death gets the final word. But now she's standing in the presence of this one who seems to be more final than death. Like, she saw this person die on Friday afternoon, but now here he stands. And so this hope uh, comes over her that maybe death is not final. Maybe death is not ultimate. And only the bodily resurrection of Jesus could give someone that kind of hope. Stephen Cole, who's a pastor, he says, Mary was seeking a dead Lord. Her love for Jesus is commendable, but really what good would it have done for Mary to to haul off Jesus' dead body and add a few more embalming spices? A dead religion that dresses up the corpse of a dead prophet is worthless. Only a living Savior who has triumphed over the grave can offer real hope. Do you believe that? See, the physical resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Mary. It turned her grief into joy. It turned her despair into real hope hope, right? But it had to be a physical living Jesus to do so. There's one more reason though why this bodily resurrection matters so much uh, to Mary. Uh, And we see it here in this third scene, the, the final scene of her encounter with Jesus. In the third scene, first scene was that Mary went looking for Jesus. Second scene, Jesus came looking for Mary and that changed everything for her. Thirdly, Jesus sends Mary. He sends her. He commissions her, uh, look at verse seventeen there's ascending in verse seventeen. Jesus said to her, "Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your father. I am ascending to my God and your God and so Jesus says to Mary, Go like the, the good news about my resurrection is not just for you, so go." and share it, and I love that he says about his disciples, go to my brothers. Isn't that a word of grace for the disciples? He doesn't like say, go tell those knuckleheads that didn't even bother to show up at the tomb this morning. Go tell them now, right? He's like, go tell my brothers. Don't don't go tell the scaredy cats who all ran off on Friday night when I got arrested. No, he says, these are my brothers. I want them to know that I'm alive. And the message that he sends uh, with Mary is is loaded with theological meaning. We could unpack it for a long time. He says, tell my brothers, I am ascending to my father and your father. I'm being exalted, I'm lifted up to my father and your father, and I'm ascending to my God and to your God. In other words, I'm alive again, but things are going to be different now. Like, I didn't come back to life so things could just be like they were exactly before I died. I came back to life so that things could be better than they were before. They're gonna be different, but better, because look, I've got a new body now, Jesus is saying. It's a real body, but it, it, is, a, it is a body that's fit for eternity. It, it's a resurrected body, and so I am, a, I am ascending to the throne to sit at the right hand of my Father, my work on earth is accomplished. And, and from there on the throne, I'm going to dispense my grace and my blessing to the world, to people all over the world in every generation. And so Mary is being sent with a cosmic gospel, right? It's not just good news for her. It's not just good news for the small group of disciples. It's actually good news for the whole world Jesus is alive and he's being exalted to the right hand of God and so now he has what he has the power to bring sinners back into relationship with God sinners from every nation sinners from every generation because Jesus is alive what can he promise he can promise eternal life only a risen Jesus could say to sinners you know what my father is your father my God is your God we are forever family now. A dead savior cannot do that. It has to be a li- an alive savior to be able to do that. It's why it matters so much. One commentator says, the resurrection of Jesus is the keystone that holds the arch of the gospel in place. You know, a keystone and an arch. If you remove the keystone, the arch caves in because all the weight of the arch is resting on that keystone, and it locks all the other stones into place. That's what the physical resurrection of Jesus is to to the gospel. You take that away, the gospel falls apart. There's nothing. There's it doesn't mean anything anymore because our Savior is dead. So let's go do something else on Sundays, right? It's the keystone of the gospel and what's uh, so amazing to me is Jesus sends Mary to put the keystone in place. He sends Mary Magdalene to put the keystone in place. Do you, do, you, do you see how incredible this is? Like, did you ever wonder, why did Jesus not show himself to Peter and John earlier that day when they were at the tomb? Why, why, did he, why didn't he show them? Like, this is his most glorious moment on earth. He's just conquered death. You'd think he'd want to tell his boys, right? His, his best friends, his disciples. Hey, I'm risen from the dead, go tell everybody. You think he'd want to go to Pilate, Pontius Pilate and the Pharisees and be like, how do y'all like me now? <laughs> y'all killed me on Friday, but yeah, right? And gather crowds and get the word out, but that's not what he does. The first thing he does is to have a private meeting with one woman, private meeting with one woman. And more surprisingly, this was, was a woman who to some degree had dealt with mental, some form of mental illness, in her life. Uh, In in, in Luke chapter 8, it says that Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. She had been possessed, mentally ill in some way. So this woman had a questionable past. This woman had questionable reliability, and yet Jesus entrusts the keystone of the gospel message, the appearance of the risen Lord, to this woman. In his grace, he flips the societal norms on their ear and says, this is the person who's gonna take my message to the apostles. St. Augustine called Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles, meaning she's the one who witnessed to the ones who would witness to the world. It's incredible. And by the way, this, uh, this is evidence that the gospel accounts are true. If you were making up a story in the first, if you were gonna fabricate a story in the first century that you wanted everyone to believe, uh, you would not put a woman as the first witness to that story. You would not put her in the story. Why? Because nobody would believe it. Because her testimony literally did not count. Like in Jewish court, the the testimony of a woman would not have counted. You wouldn't put her in the story unless that's that's actually how it went down. (laughs) You wouldn't put her in the story unless her testimony was actually true. And it was. Jesus was actually risen from the dead, and Mary was actually the first person who saw him. And so Jesus said to her, Mary, go tell my brothers. And that's what she does. Look at the last verse. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene went, and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. She says, I have seen the Lord. Not metaphorically, uh, I've, I've seen him literally. Right? Not spiritually, uh, I've seen him physically. Mary had seen the Lord and that changed her forever. And guess what? Her message that she gave the apostles that day, it changed the world. It changed the world forever. I want you to listen to what one pastor wrote this week. This is so great. He said, "Those who believe in Christ's bodily resurrection, which inaugurates the inbreaking of God's new creation, and spells the defeat of death and the defeat of evil. people who believe in that should be the most fearless, uncynical, generous, imaginative, joyful, enemy-serving, sacrificial, curious, resilient people in the world." That's who we should be. That's the kind of people that Mary Magdalene and the disciples became after encountering the resurrected Jesus. It changed them. It changed them forever. When I was a, uh, a college student, um, I was wrestling uh, with what I believed about Jesus. Uh, I had grown up in, in a Christian home, uh, but the university kind of squeezed me. And, and began to show me, you know what, I can't just like kind of cling to whatever I think my parents believe in a second-hand way. I've actually got to own what I believe uh, in, in a first-hand way. And so I began to investigate Jesus. I began to read the Bible. I began to read other literature. And you know what's interesting? As The more I read about him, the thing that became the linchpin for me was his resurrection. I, I remember actually saying to myself, you know, If Jesus is really risen from the dead, then he's worth my life. If Jesus really rose from the dead, that means he is different. He is Lord and I'll follow him wherever he goes. And as I looked into and investigated Jesus, the testimony uh, of of people like Mary Magdalene and the the testimony of people like Peter and, and John really impacted me. Because these women and men actually gave the rest of their, spent the rest of their life proclaiming that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And many of them actually died for their belief in that. And people don't die for a lie, right? You know what I mean by that? Like if I'm telling you a lie and you're like, I'm going to kill you for that lie, I'd be like, oh, okay, no, I'm lying. <laughs> That's not true. But they believed it was true because it was true. And it changed them forever. They knew it was true. I came to the conclusion that Jesus had raised from the dead bodily and it changed the trajectory of my entire life when I was a college student. It really did. I was like, I gotta follow Jesus. I don't, know, I don't understand everything, but I gotta follow him because he has the words of eternal life. He's the only one that points you to real life. And so the question for all of us is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is raised bodily? It'll change your life, who you are, what you believe, what you, what you live for. Because Jesus is raised uh, from the dead, we can have the joy of his presence, right? We can have hope beyond death and we can actually live our lives right now for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Let's thank him for that. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.